We will get to our scripture passage in just a moment, but before we read that passage together, I just wanted to say a few words about the series that we launched this morning. But before I even do that, I want to acknowledge a very, very dear friend that Becky and I have with us here today, Dale Abernathy. Dale has been friends with our family for decades. He was a part of a church plant back in Cobb County years ago, and we're just so thrilled that Dale's with us today. Dale, it's always great to be with you. Uh, also, I want to let you know that um, I'm going to kind of be hugging this pulpit more than usual today. Uh, I'm dealing with some back issues, and it's better, much better. But I'm also going to, this is my best friend today, because the doctor has given me lots of medication that's just drying me up. So I ask your forgiveness and your indulgence as I take a sip every so often here. And it is water. God bless. Thank you, the good doctor, always. I want to explain the the title of this series, Family Counseling, Without Anybody Knowing. A lot of our families, we come to church on Sunday, and when we're out in public, public people might think that we our family is together, we are solid, uh, and but the truth of the matter is that even the best of families, there's... There's issues. There's no perfect family. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of our families, even though we might look together and and have it all together on Sunday, the truth is that many of our families are hurting. We would never argue in public, but when we get in private, that's all that some of our families seem to do. Uh, People see us outside the house. We have all the appearance of a family that's happy and and we all get along, but the reality is that inside that house, sometimes our family is filled with shouting and conflict and turmoil. And deep down, we know, some of us, that we could really benefit from some family counseling. But we're too embarrassed, we're too afraid to admit that we have problems. And so we ask him, what would the neighbors think? What would our friends think? And so we rock along, never getting the help that we need. Now, here's the rationale for this series. Over the next few Sundays, I want to offer some very practical and biblical uh, insights that can help us be stronger, more healthy, vibrant families. And we'll be sharing some things that you would ordinarily hear if you did go to a counselor's office. But we're going to do it in the safety and the anonymity of a worship experience. That way you can come on Sunday morning, you can worship God, you can also be exposed to some family counseling without anybody knowing. That's the whole idea. Now, let me just give a a disclaimer as I begin this is, is that Uh, This is in no way intended to replace or supplant uh, professional family counseling that is valuable and important. And I would encourage you to, if if you as a family uh, have issues that deserve more attention and and care, I would encourage you to seek that out. So each week we're going to focus on an an insight that I believe can help us as families. And what we want to talk about this morning is the importance of acceptance. Every person longs for acceptance. 
And the family is where we ought to find it most profoundly. And to prepare our thoughts this morning, I wanted to to stand together. And let's turn as we look at the passage of Scripture for this morning. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. Let's stand together. Let's read together. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of you do Facebook? A lot of us do. I've, I've, I've resisted that for whatever reason. I, whatever. But I understand if you do Facebook, I understand that if you want to communicate with somebody else on their Facebook page, they first of all have to what? They have to friend you or accept you, okay? as a friend. Several years ago, I signed up for, uh, there's a social media outlet uh, for professional business folks, and it's called LinkedIn. And several years ago, I signed up for that thing and uh, thinking that it would be beneficial to me. Well, I I never got to the point where I could use it because it's now an old email address, and I couldn't remember the password, and I just kind of, I finally just gave up on the thing, and I've, I've even written them several times saying, please take me off of your list. I don't want to be a participant in this, but to no avail. And so even though it's been like five or six years ago I signed up, never have used it, every week I get several requests from people who want me to accept them as a contact. And, you know, I just don't have the heart not to accept them, so I click the box and and I, I accept them, but they're never going to hear from me because I don't know what that's all about. Acceptance is huge. It's a basic need that every living person has. And I want you to think about this. Colleges accept us if our grade point averages are high enough. Companies accept us if our resume is impressive enough. Fraternities and sororities accept us if our social pedigree is significant enough. Our friends accept us if we are cool enough. Sports teams accept us if we can run fast enough or throw far enough. And some people would do just about anything to be accepted. It's just that important. Years ago, when our youngest son was still in high school, I uh, drove him to school every morning, which uh, he despised. That's a sermon for another day. But uh, I always noticed that when I dropped him off, there, was, there would always be two or three students uh, near the door, and they really stood out. I mean, these, these students, they had orange and purple hair, and it was spiked straight up like eight inches, and they all had a nose ring and had chains hanging from their belt loops. Now, I know what you're thinking. They just want to be different. I don't think that's true at all. You know what I think? I think that those kids, they've given up being accepted by the bulk of the other students, so now this is their way of being accepted by the other 20 
or 25 students that have orange and purple hair and spike it and have nose rings and chains hanging from their belt loops. It's all about being accepted. There needs to be a place where you are accepted. Not because you're good enough or smart enough or pretty enough. There needs to be a place where you don't have to do anything or prove anything to be accepted. There needs to be a place where acceptance is a given. That's what the family is supposed to be. And if a person doesn't find acceptance anywhere else, acceptance is something they have a right to expect and need from their family. Now, unfortunately, that's not always the case. There are kids in this church who long desperately to be accepted by their mom or dad, but they don't feel like they are because they never have quite measured up. The grades aren't quite as what their mom or dad thinks they should be. Well, they haven't reached that level of perfection that they think mom and dad are are holding out for. And so they don't experience that acceptance. Their wives in this community, their wives in this church, who do everything they know to win their husband's affection and approval, and yet the harder they work, it seems like the more detached and distant he seems to be. There are men and women in this church who get beat up at work every day. They come home thinking that they're going to encounter something different from their family, but when they walk in the door, what they get is more verbal abuse, more conflict, more reminders of how they just don't measure up. You can put your family in a $600,000 mansion, and yet if the people who live in that house don't experience love and acceptance, then you are denying them one of life's most basic, fundamental needs. I want to say something. I want you to listen carefully. Every member of your family, regardless of what they have done or what they have not done, needs, deserves acceptance. They need to be accepted for who they are. They shouldn't have to do anything or measure up to some standard or accomplish some goal. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, well, Stuart, that's a mighty broad stroke that you're making there. There's some things in my son or in my daughter, I'm sorry, I just cannot accept. And you know what I say to that? You're exactly right. You are exactly right. And so let me try to clarify what I mean when I say that acceptance is to be expected and granted to every person in your family regardless. It begins by understanding what acceptance is and what it is not. 
Let me suggest, first of all, that acceptance is not the same as approval. Oftentimes we use those words, accept and approve, we use them interchangeably. And we're, therefore we've come to think a lot of us that to accept something or to accept someone means that we automatically approve of that something or approve of that someone. That's not what I'm advocating at all. To say that we accept everyone in the family is not suggesting that we have to approve of what they are doing. Can you approve of your daughter's sexual uh, promiscuity? No. Can you approve of your son's drug use? No. So here's what I mean by accepting them regardless. To accept them means to value the person, even if you can't validate the behavior. Okay? Value the person, even when you can't validate the behavior. Now think about Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus always valued the person even when he couldn't validate the behavior. Remember that, that scene where G- the Pharisees bring a woman who's been taken in the act of adultery, they bring her to Jesus, they throw her on the ground. They want to see what his reaction is going to be. They want to see if he accepts her in spite of her sinful life. His response was masterful. He says to the Pharisees and the crowd, all right, Those of you that are without sin, I want you to cast the first stone at her. And, of course, we know what happened. One by one, they dropped their stones because there's none who are guiltless. And so they all turn and they walk away. And finally, it's just Jesus and the woman. And Jesus says, woman, where are those that accuse you? She looked around. She said, Lord, there are none. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you to go and sin no more. Now, did Jesus in that situation accept this woman? Yes. Did he approve of this woman's behavior? No. Far from it. A lot of people today will flippantly use a phrase that says, Jesus accepts you just as you are. That sounds wonderful. When I've looked at my Bible, I don't find that anywhere. That's not a scripture in verse. But we hear that a lot, don't we? Jesus accepts you just as you are. Now, the problem with that is that that implies that maybe Jesus approves of me just as I am. But his acceptance of her does not, in this situation, mean his approval, nor of us. Bishop Stokes, Max Stokes, long since passed away, but he helped me understand this. He said, we open ourselves for great misunderstanding when we say Jesus accepts us as we are. It is much more accurate, he said, to say Jesus pardons us as we are. See, Jesus shows her acceptance in this way. He makes a place for her in his heart. 
despite his disagreeing, despite the fact that he cannot validate her behavior, despite he recognizes sin is in her life, he accepts her by making a place for her in his heart. Everybody else shamed her. Everybody else had abandoned her. Everybody else had ridiculed her, made her, uh, made fun of her. He makes a place for her in his heart and thus accepts her. Let me suggest this. That's what it means for us to accept a son or a daughter, a husband or wife, a grandchild, to make a place in our heart for them regardless. To let them know that we love them no matter what. Excuse me, sometimes I'm asked on several occasions, Stuart, they'll say, I have a real issue with homosexuality and gay marriage. My son last week told me he's gay. Am I supposed to accept him? How do I accept him? I said, well, of course you accept him. You accept him. Accepting him does not equate to having to approve of everything that he does. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But you accept him in that you make a place in your heart for him, and there's nothing that, could, that he could ever do or be that should interfere with that. Look at Romans fifteen seven, our passage this morning. We are to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. How does Christ accept you? When you came to Christ, did he accept you by approving of everything your life was at that time? No. There were probably things about your life and my life that were abhorrent to him. But there's no way he could approve. He accepts us by making a place in his heart for us. Does God accept you because you are pretty or smart or accomplished? No. He accepts you because you are his son and, or his daughter. And that's how Scripture says we are to accept one another, and particularly those in, in the family. But I'd ask you to be honest about something. Are you, is your heart always open? Is there always a place in your heart for a member of your family, even when they may do or be something different than you hoped? I, I know that uh, in my life, when, as a younger father, uh, in accepting my sons uh, and some of their uh, actions and decisions, Sometimes accepting them depended upon their, their performance of meeting my expectations. And as long as they were doing that, my heart was wide open to them. But uh, if they started uh, not meeting those expectations, then my heart would grow closed in terms of accepting them. But the irony is, it's precisely when our family members aren't 
what we want them to be. It is precisely when they are most removed from those expectations that our heart needs to be the most open to show them love and forgiveness. If your son or daughter is rejecting the values that you've imparted into them, if, if your children or grandchildren are engaged in drug abuse and sexual activity, if they, are, if they are living a life in which they have totally turned and rejected them, everything you've taught them and are blatantly, mis, uh, blatantly disregarding everything you've sought to instill in them, which is more likely to win them back? A heart that is closed to them or a heart that is wide open to them? We can learn from the parable of the prodigal son. This parable is lived out every day in family life. The young son goes, leaves his father's house and takes his inheritance and he spends the next period of time engaged in all kinds of sinfulness. He finally comes to his senses and he returns home. Why do you think he felt he could even do that? Why do you think he, he felt that he could return home? He must have known that his father's heart was filled with love and mercy rather than ridicule and scorn. Every member of your family, including you, you long, you hunger, you thirst for, to be accepted. And at a time and a place where they may not experience that anywhere else, they need to experience it at home with you. Does every member of your family know that they have a place in your heart just for them? But don't answer that too quickly. You may have two or three or four kids or grandkids. Do all of them feel and know that there is a place in their heart, in your heart, reserved for them? I have three sons. If two of my sons today are convinced and know that I have a special place in my heart for them, my work's not done until all of them feel that way. I want you to give thought today and this week to this question. What evidence is there that I have a place in my heart for, and then you insert a family member's name there. What evidence is there that I have a place in my heart for that person? And if you have difficulty determining if there's any evidence of that, then I would encourage you. 
Make your first priority this week to doing what you need to do or saying what you need to say to make sure that happens. Does everybody in your family, whether they're living with you now or not, I know some of us are in seasons where the kids are all gone, grandchildren gone, but we're all part of a family. Does everybody in your family know that you accept them? If you have any reservations about that, do what you need to do. Say what you need to say to make sure that they do. Let's pray together. God, I pray for the families in our church this morning that experience strife and conflict. I pray for young people in our church, husbands in our church, wives in our church, who desperately long for their family to accept them and value them. I pray, oh God, that you will send your spirit into the homes of all the families of this church. And give us a burden in our heart. If there's anyone who lives a single moment having to question whether or not they experience acceptance among the people that are supposed to give it automatically, that's the family. Well, God, we thank you that you accept us even when you cannot approve of things about us. You make a place in your heart for us. And that is all that you ask of us toward others. In the name and spirit of Christ we pray. Amen.